chapter 14, the path of the just, we're going to be looking at the elements or the divisions of abstinence or parishus. The Ramchal states in chapter 14, there are three primary elements to parashus. For consider, parashus relates to several areas of life. There is a place for parashus with regard to worldly pleasures, a place for parashus regard to Torah laws, a place for parashus regard to social conduct. The Ramchal proceeds to explain each of these three applications of parashus starting with parashus from worldly pleasures. So the first section that we're going to deal with in chapter 14 is the abstinence of worldly pleasures. Once again, this abstinence is not from things that are prohibited. These are abstinence from things that, you know, that are good. Parashus with respect to worldly pleasures is that which we mentioned in the previous chapter, that is, not to partake in worldly things other than one's essential needs uh, require. This aspect of parachutes encompasses everything that is a source of pleasure to any one of the senses, including fine food, intimate relationships, engaged clothing, uh, elegant clothing, uh, uh, leisure behavior activities, uh, casual conversation, and anything similar. One who practices parachutes or abstinence does not indulge in unnecessary pleasurable activities except on days when enjoyment of such activities is a mitzvah, such as Shabbos and Yom Tov. While we're on that subject, we have to remember that uh, a joyous, happy heart is a fertile ground for Hashem to do great things in your life. That we are commanded, essentially, to be full of joy and happiness with Hashem at all times. It doesn't mean that we won't have sad times and difficult times, but we are to actively pursue a joyous heart because that becomes a fertile ground for Hashem to do amazing things in your life. So, a person who abstains from these pleasures has to guard themselves from becoming morose. Is that a good word? Morose? Just down and negative and not talking to people and, you know. So they have to be very careful that their, their, their pursuit of abstinence doesn't turn out to be antisocial behavior that really reflects negatively upon Hashem. And so it has to be very careful about it. So these... A person who would pursue this on Shabbos would not do this. He would he would need to be social and be involved in social activities and be involved in in communal uh, activities. And on special celebrations, special days, he would he would need to do that. If not, obviously he would be committing a sin. The Ramchal now explains how parashus can be applied to Torah laws. Parshus, with respect to Torah laws, means to always act stringently in their regard. For example, it means to completely, with even a lone authority, more stringent opinion in a dispute matter, a disputed matter, if his reasoning is sound. 
even though the halacha does not follow his opinion. Needless to say, say, only as long as his stringency does not somehow result in leniency. So we, I think it's pretty clear where the Torah law states that you should not do this, this, and that, or even if it's sort of a gray area. We, the halacha is not, it's kind of gray. You just choose, I'm not doing it. I'm just not going to participate in it. So that is, and, and I, would, I would even say that uh, there's a lot of people that I know that practice their life like that. That they, I, I realize that God doesn't prohibit this, but it's kind of a gray area. So just why, why deal with that, right? Um, the Ramchal uh, cites a Talmudic source for this application of parachutes. Our sages of blessed memory, uh, which is found in Hulin 37b, have in fact explained to us in this manner the statement of the prophet uh, Yishael, Yishael, I'm sorry, Yechel. Uh, Behold, my soul has not become unclean, nor has loathsome, uh, loathsome meat ever touched my mouth. By this, Ezekiel meant to say, I did not eat the meat of an animal regarding which a halakhic question had arisen, even though a sage had subsequently permitted uh, to, to eat it or ruled to eat it. Here's, here's a fine example of that for the B'nai Noach or the Ger. Uh, we are told that a person who is not a Jew can eat halal meat. Right? Have you heard that before? You can eat halal meat. Yes, because uh, I understand, I just won't take the chance, that it's, it's butchered in the same way and his throat is cut the same way, but there are some things that might not be as kosher or would not be kosher for a Jew. But most, I would say, just about every B'nai Noach or Ger that I've spoken to will not eat halal meat. Why? It's right, it's because the blessing you know, it has its attachment to to Allah, and it's like mm, he's just not comfortable with it. This is an example of it. Even though the sages of Judaism says it's all right, you can do it. It's all right for a non-Jew. You just, I'd rather not do it. But anybody eating halal meat would be sure to buy kosher meat, given an opportunity too. Say again. But somebody I would think that would eat halal meat will also buy kosher meat. Oh, absolutely. 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 This is why. This is why. Um, this is why the sages say that uh, a Noahide slash gear. I'm always try to put the two together so that people can understand when they're watching this. A person who's taken on Torah and the Sheva Mitzvot, and they also take on other Torah commandments, though they're not required to. That is why the sages say that they, are, they have been elevated to the level of a haikhoen gadol. You understand why? Because they are truly taking on what Ramchal talks about, a person who is a, wants to move beyond just being a righteous person, but a pious person. So in many level, at many layers and levels, a B'nai Noach or Ger who takes on more 
Shevamit's votes and or takes the Shevamit's votes and additional Torah laws, they are putting restraints on themselves that the law doesn't require, but it's not prohibited for you to do it, right? So it you at at this is probably the best example of a person who is practicing parishus. That's the finest example of that. It's like, you don't have to, no one's holding you to that, but if you choose to do it, then you are elevating yourself at such a high level as Shem have such pleasure in the people of the nations who truly do love Torah and who want to practice the highest levels of, of, of righteousness. Um, As mentioned in chapter 13, regarding permissible pleasures, we must not conclude from the fact that something is permitted to all of Israel, that is the same lenient standards uh, should apply to uh, Parashim. For Parashim, due to their desire for closeness to Hashem, ought to distance themselves from the unseemly or from anything like it. And the idea is everybody else is doing it. Why shouldn't I do it? That's what causes a, a pious person to draw back. It's like, if everybody's doing it, uh, even though it's permitted, uh, what's, what's the point? I, I don't know. Can you think of an example? I'm, I'm just trying. There's a lot. There's so many examples out there. But we can think of, well, you know, everybody does it here. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, hang out in bars. Everybody hangs out in bars. But why don't we do it? Because it's just... Do what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody else does it, so why shouldn't I do it, right? Uh, another example of harshus regarding Torah laws is found in Hulin 105a. It says, um, with respect to the following manner, I am compared to my father, vinegar and the son, wine. For my father, if he were to eat meat now, he would eat cheese until the same time tomorrow, until after 24 hours has elapsed. Whereas when I meet, eat meat, it is only with this meal in which I ate meat that I do not eat cheese. So the example is this. We know that Halakha says that if you eat meat, uh, yes, you eat meat, you, you shouldn't have cheese for six hours, right? Three, three hours, yes, three hours. Right, and if you eat cheese first, you rinse your mouth out and you can eat meat. Well, he's saying here, you know what? I'm just, for 24 hours, I will not eat any dairy products. You, you understand? It's taking it to the next level. Um, The Ramchal now discusses parachutes with regard to social interaction. Parachutes regarding social conduct consist of secluding and separating oneself from a broader society in order to clear one's mind of worldly matters and direct it toward the service of Hashem and toward the proper contemplation of, his, of this service. It is important, however, to strike a proper balance in this area. Two, parachutes is... Uh, laudable, provided that one does not lean to the other extreme and become um, 
completely isolated from society. What's, what's the danger of a Zadik or a pious person becoming completely isolated from society? Or what's the negative of part of that? What would be the negative? No influence. What good is a, a pious person who has no influence in the world around him? And, you know, one of the things that you find in the, in the Dark Ages is this huge movement toward um, um, asceticism, monasteries, you know, monks sequestering themselves out, and you know, hummets, herberts, or whatever. I don't know what they're Essenes, uh, Essenes, yes, but it's interesting because some new research has come out about the Essene people, and what they're realizing now is what was a very closed community, the Essene community. There were Essene sects all over uh, Israel. They were in every town. It's just that this particular one had sort of cloistered themselves in a community, and they were very tight. And they didn't allow someone to come in from the outside unless they were part of their community. But there were Essenes all over Israel. There were different, uh, I guess, different groups or, of people. But they all had this basic same philosophy. Um, let's see. A person's mind should always be integrated with society. And it is said, or they said in Barachus... 63b, when the, the verses state that there will be a sword against the badim and they will become fools, it means there is a sword against the enemies of those Torah scholars, interesting, who sets each one in isolation and engage in Torah study. These two sources demonstrate that a person may not live a life total in total isolation. Rather, even one who seeks parashus should associate with good people for whatever time is necessary for his Torah study or his livelihood. And afterward, he may seclude himself in order to cling to God and to achieve the ways of uprightness and authentic divine service. There is... Uh, there are a lot of people, Rabbi Katz and Rabbi Chlorfeins and I have had conversations about those within the very strong Hasidic community that, you know, they're totally disconnected from the world. Um, internet, they don't have internet access, they don't, they don't have Facebook, they don't have email, they don't, most of them don't even have cell phones. Uh, they spend all their days in yeshiva studying Fantastic. They are elevating the world. But the problem is, is all of that great wisdom and all that great knowledge is, is being held in that little box. And the world is seriously starving to have that knowledge and cannot access it and only has the access from a few, from a few sources. And can you imagine what would happen if these great scholars of Torah Judaism would at least in momentary in, in momentary times open up and teach the world Torah. Can you imagine what we would learn from these people who spend hours and hours studying just I mean they will spend hours studying a page, one tractate of the Torah. And so and when you go when you go to uh, Jerusalem, when you go to Israel, especially Jerusalem and the Haredi community, the Shivas are packed with students who spend hours every day studying Yeshiva. Hours. 
And there are those who, who have decided they have no social contact with anybody else. They, they do Torah, and they go home. They eat, they sleep, they come back, they do Torah. It's all day long. And so the negative part is what the world may miss because of that. Even when associated with another person during the time designated for study or occupation and occupation, there are ways to practice parachutes, including in this aspect of parachutes, and with regard to social interaction, is to uh, minimize one's speech, even when discussing a worthwhile topic. So what is he saying? The Ramchal is saying that even in our social environment and our social interaction with people, um, if you minimize your speech, then you're sanctifying your speech. Instead of, you can be in society or be in the world around yourself without immersing yourself completely in the ideologies and philosophy of the world. Meaning, you don't partake at their level of, of negativity. I.e., evil speech, negative talk, useless speech, you go on and on. You, you're not rude, you just... You just don't participate in this stuff. And, and that's, that's, this is what he's talking about. Um, so he continues on by saying, to, uh, to be aware of idle conversation, not to look outside of one's four uh, cubics, not to look outside of one's own area of, of perspective, and anything of this nature that is included in practices to which a person can accustom himself and one should do this unit, such as such practices, become natural and reflective to him. So it means that a person who desires to have this level of abstinence can achieve it by, by not becoming immersed in what's going on around them in their society, by, at some level, withdrawing themselves, even though they're in society and they work, they have jobs, but they, they pull themselves back and they restrict themselves from engaging in banal activities and negative conversations. So, a lot of times uh, a co-worker, somebody will notice that and they'll start asking you if you have an opportunity. Uh, no, absolutely. You don't have to beat somebody over the head with, oh, I'm not doing right. that or whatever. Just tell them right. to that person. I think one of the hardest things to do when you're in, when, when you're in sort of normal working environment, especially people who, who are working in an environment like that, is not getting pulled into negativity. That's the hardest thing. It's so easy to get sort of reeled into it. So you really have to be on guard all the time to not get pulled in. As a matter of fact, sometimes you'll get pulled into it before you know it. And so it, sometimes it's a retreat. You, have to, you realize, oh, I'm in it now. Now I have to pull out of it. And you have to find a tactful way to do it without sounding like you're being rude. Right? And it's very hard. You probably, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Oh really? Yeah. So no, that's that's the whole thing is yeah. you you're you find yourself right in the middle of somebody saying something very negative and very destructive and you're now engaged in it just because you've been talking to them and now you're trying to figure out how can I find a tactful way to back out of it. Here's the other one. This this is the one for me. Say again? Are you gonna give us the how to? No, no, no. Even stay it. That's the whole thing. This is parashus because in a normal social activity, that's not negative to stand there and just listen. But 
if you are attempting to elevate yourself to, to holiness and righteousness, Borsham, you find a very tactful way to go, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll, let me catch up with you later. And it's difficult. For, for me, I, I think one of the things, I think it, like I'll think of something that I want to say, and then I realize, hmm, don't even, don't even say it. Just don't even say it. And I, I have to battle that all the time. I wish that I could get to the place of, that Ramachal talks about that it doesn't even come to your mind. But you'll, you'll be having a conversation, you'll think, oh yeah, I need, I'm going I'm to add my two cents into it. Right? And, and honestly, I don't know where the line is between saying something that is informative and helpful because sometimes you can cloak negative talk about someone and it can be disguised as helpful. Right? You understand? It's like um, someone saying, saying something negative about a person and then you go and say, well, you know, they've, you know, they, they've done this, this, and that. Right? And you, it's true. It's very factual. But adding to that is like adding fuel to the fire. And that's my problem is I still think it, and I try not, I try not to say it, but I still get caught up in those, those things. But are you not elevating yourself by thinking it I would hope, I, <laughs> I would hope to assume, I hope and pray that that's the case. No, I hope and pray. But, I, you know, I spent, I spent two weeks with a very close friend of mine, right? And he's a fantastic fellow, but we'd just be talking in general about stuff. And I, I would find myself saying things, and I'm like, what, what, why am I saying that? I mean, why am I saying it? It, was, it wouldn't be bombastic. It wasn't, like, hateful. i just say, and, and I realized, for the sake of heaven, there's no reason why I should even say that. Right, and I'd, I'd feel horrible, and then I would I would find a way just to quit talking about it and move on. But I'm thinking, why is it you get pulled into that trap every time? And this is, at some level, because I desire to be like this. Maybe, maybe Hashem will count that as a credit. Hmm? Because at one point in your life, you would have thought. Oh, that I would. Said it. I no, I wouldn't even have. Yeah, no, yeah, I wouldn't even have thought yeah. negative about it. You think it, but you're you got to the point where yeah. you don't say it. So yeah. Okay. So. Hopefully, Hashem will count that as a great mitzvah, but at the same time, it's like you can't help yourself. Isn't that the weirdest thing? It's like as though you know you want to do it, and you just can't help. You just spout off, and you say something. You go, why did I do that? It, was, it, didn't, it didn't benefit anything to say that. Okay. When you were saying something good about the person that they were speaking of, trying to change the thought process, what happens if they start going on Yeah, change the subject or find a reason to get out of the room. Yeah. Or to leave. Yeah, I say, oh, I need to go to the restroom. Right. Hold, hold on. I think I have a phone call. And they don't. Nice thing is your phone have silence, like buzzing. So, so I, that's about the only thing you can do because in, in reality, uh, you just get trapped in those situations. 
especially in a work environment where, where the other individual has no, no restraint on their conversation, none. And you've got to find a tactful way not to be rude about the whole thing. Uh, because we know it's not a mitzvah to stand up and act like a complete jerk about the whole thing. But following that, uh, it reminded me about when you heard the anecdote about a rabbi who went to somebody's house and the fish was really, really bad. Correct. And he said, I don't eat fish. So for the rest of his life, he didn't eat fish. He didn't eat fish. But why, did, why didn't he eat fish? That's the, he didn't want to be a liar. He didn't want to be a liar. He loved fish. So for the rest of his life, he refused to eat it. He said, he told that person, I can't eat fish. Because the preparation for the fish was so horrible that he wouldn't eat it. And, and the lady says, well, you, don't, why, why, you don't like my fish? He goes, oh, no, I, I don't care for fish. And so from that point on, he never ate fish. Like 20-something years, he never ate fish. But following what Mary Lou was saying, or we were saying, if we want to get out of the situation, don't say, oh, I've got a phone call coming in. Say, I have to go make a phone call and then go make a phone call to somebody. <laughs> yeah, call, so you're not yeah, that's true. Call someone who's a righteous person and go, hey, I'm needing to call you and talk to you about this. Right. But, but you see these things. Listen, in, in the mind of, of a person who's in the world, this is like, what's the point of that? That's ridiculous restriction. But the more that you bring this on, you, you hem yourself in, the more secure you feel and the more connected you feel to Hashem. It's, it's an amazing thing. Let's conclude this chapter in which uh, it was a very short chapter. Um, the trait of parachutes involves abstaining from or otherwise curbing three different kinds of activities. This is the trait. This means that a person who, who sincerely approaches parashus or abstinence will do it in these three areas. First, parashus abstains from physical pleasurable activities that are not essential to his well-being, as discussed in the previous chapters, since these pleasures invariably lead to temptations that that test one's character and put one's moral purity at risk. And parashus seek, uh, I'm sorry, a person who seeks parashus seeks to avoid them whenever possible. Second, Parush follows strict interpretations of halakha, acting stringently even when there is no halakha uh, requirement to do so. By steering clear of activities that merely uh, resembles the forbidden, a Parush maintains a safe distance from what is actually forbidden. Third, Parush, a person who is Parush, abstains from social interactions that are not necessary for his livelihood in Torah. This practice helps him avoid needless distractions and remain focused on drawing himself closer to Hashem. That concludes chapter 14, and next week we will go to chapter 15, the, the way to acquire abstinence or parachutes.